0: or something is fanatsu
1: um oh no no we've been around for a while i'll say hold on one second cuz it's it's going live now oh, i should change All my right name. yes if you want to set anything up cuz we are about to go live Here we go. All right. We are now live. All right. day, todos Hamzu. Welcome to another episode of Fanatsu. We took a short break. We took a short break because we were having episodes nonstop. Um, and uh, we had a bunch of things going on. We had the Nalatla Songs of Freedom Volume 4 concert online. Um, it's the, you know, July is always an interesting month. Normally lots of festivities around liberation day and so we apologize for not having any episodes for a couple of weeks but Fanatsu is now back and we've got several exciting episodes coming up in the next month or so. And so always remember that you are the ones that make Fanatsu possible. Um Fanatsu is community supported independent and indigenous media and so we have a, a very hardcore group of patrons that follow us on that support us on Patreon and make everything possible. And so Google, Hamzu, I appreciate all of you that support us on Patreon. on Patreon. And remember that if you sign up, if you sign up for Patreon, then you can get access to the exclusive content that we've put over there. We have more than a year's worth of special sort of uh, special podcasts, um, like the radical reading series, the secret Guam history podcast. And so if you sign up, um, if you sign up, then you can get access to all of those awesome things. Unfortunately, if, you're, if you are sick and tired of looking at my face, uh, most of them feature my face though. But I'm always trying to get newer, fresher blood sort of into the mix. And so that's one of the exciting things that we have over the next few months is bringing in newer, new hosts, younger hosts to keep the conversation going. And speaking of newer hosts and younger hosts and uh, newer voices, younger, fresher faces, I'm very excited to have uh, with me as a guest here today for Fanatsu. Kyle the healing. He is uh, An environmental activist um, I believe uh, he's part of the UOG Green Army and so and he's uh, he's also has a blog called the color earth um, Which we will definitely put a link in so that people can connect to it and he's also uh, over the past few months uh, engaged in with political leaders um, written letters to the editor uh, sort of uh, talking about environmental issues and the economy and so I'm very glad uh, that he's here with us today. Um, and so, Kyle, uh for for joining us on Finatsu.
0: Um, half a day, and thank you actually so much for sharing your uh, space with me.
1: <laughs> yes, and so I know that. Um, so I know that uh, this week was a big week because you you recently had your letter to the editor, which was talking about tourism. Tourism is dead, and that's okay. And then GVB was just, there was a public hearing about GVB and sort of the visitor industry this week. And so I wanted to get your thoughts. Give us a hot take on sort of, uh, on sort of that conversation.
0: Um, you know what? Um, what do you call that? We are in unprecedented times. And I mean this on a social, environmental, and economic scale, where everything around us isn't familiar. And I won't lie to you. There will be a lot of pain and struggle ahead of us. Uh, but we cannot sit back and assume that everything will go back to the way they comfortably were. And one of the la- uh, one of the worst lies a politician or business person will tell you is that the tourism market is going to rebound. And whether you believe it or not, it's not going to happen here anytime soon for us. And uh, just a few numbers to keep in mind that I was able to get from the Guam Visitors Bureau. Uh, they were hearing just this last Wednesday. Uh, they said that tourism generated around $2 billion a year and $260 million in government taxes. It employed 21,000 people, about 34% of Guam's workforce. And those numbers also reflect the number of residents who lost their work due to the pandemic, which is around 33,000 of our skilled workforces and counting. The focus here is that tourism generated $2 billion, past tense. They employed 21,000 of our community, also past tense, history, No more. Just this week, GVB announced to the people of Guam that their most optimistic outlook for tourism is still a staggering 99% plummet in arrivals. And they estimate that 2019 levels won't be reached until 2024. So GVB predicts that we will be in a period of degrowth for the next three years. In their fiscal 2021 public hearing, uh, Just this past Wednesday, former Governor Carl Gutierrez opened up with labeling tourism as the backbone of our economy. And that their key focus is to try to persuade foreign governments, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan on lifting the travel restrictions for Guam. Japan currently is experiencing a spike in COVID cases that further delays travel. Taiwan is concerned of importing cases. South Korea is not interested in 14 day quarantine periods and the idea of being associated with the U.S. as COVID-19 cases continue to surge. In a time where governments would typically support tighter restrictions on funding and implement guidelines on how to tackle the financial crash, Guam senators believe that more freedom for GVB to appropriate upwards of tens of thousands of dollars without board approval will save our island. And this is backwards thinking and a breeding ground for corruption right before our eyes. In 2018, the major banks failed and Congress stepped in and mandated that the banks follow stricter rules and guidelines, which helped lead us out of the recession. Our local government choosing to relax protocols for GBB to expedite their approval process without board oversight is reckless and detrimental to everyone. GVB's model prior to COVID-19 was to cast a net and hoping someone would bite, but that method has failed us miserably. And according to their own statistics that they use, the very source markets they hope to penetrate is prioritizing domestic tourism over international destinations. Which means that the current outlook is that 85% of tourism from our top three markets, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan, is staying within their own borders. Which leaves us with only 10%. And that means us battling it out with the other tourist driven powerhouse economies like Hawaii and any other place. Um, if I could pull up something at, and I can share my screen, I want to show you something that I, I have um, available.
1: Oh, yes, please do. Please do thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, hold on.
0: I need to. Oh, not this one. Sorry. <laughs> Presents. Um, are you seeing a full screen or no?
1: It wow. was uh, cut off slightly.
0: Okay, let me try this again. Okay. Um, hmm. I can't really pick it up. Maybe if I expand on this. And if I close this, you might be able to see it. So uh, this over here is Guam Visitors Bureau Tourist Travel Chart that they provided at their hub, mm-hmm. um, at their budget hearing just this Wednesday. And if we look over here, fiscal year 2019, these are the amount of arrivals that um, visited Guam. And this over here is the projection for fiscal year 2020. And onto the right side, we are comparing the decrease. So what GVB predicts is a near 99% or on uh, July where they predict a 99% in decrease from fiscal year 2019 to 2020. And this is a period of degrowth, a dramatic statistical degrowth, if you love numbers and like that. So it's, these numbers are staggering. And if we look over to uh, the overall, outlook for Guam, they project a 53.7% decrease from, uh, from last year. And I'm going to stop my screen share over here. Uh, okay. So that was a projection of their best guess at what markets would look like for the remainder of the year. And this is from one of their, uh, from their slides that they presented this week. Yet they want you to believe that tourism works. And it did. It worked for those who got rich and tourism worked for the developers. But tourism is not working for us. Every student knows that a 46% is a failing grade. Tourism isn't working. In fact, it is failing our very community now. And as a business person, if your sales plummet and your business model collapses, you do not go back and invest more into what has failed. Instead, you move on You innovate, and you adapt. Don't let the politician and business person tell you that tourism is your culture, because it isn't. They have spent thousands of dollars to convince you that, but you are not tourism. Our best resource is our people, and what better way to care for our people than to invest in our communities? So here's the thing. They don't want to come here, and we cannot afford to beg them to come back. We are better than this. We must confront reality and choose to diversify our skilled workforce, genuinely move forward and invest in new ideas, promote our arts and technology and make a new living. We need our leaders of today to make the sensible choice in pivoting Guam away from tourism. We need what's best for our community. And we know that tourism is not our saving grace. And I actually want to quote the Arimi fresin which is, Protect and defend the beliefs, the culture, the language, the air, the water, and the land of the Chmur people. Because only together will we get through this. A collective
1: future worth fighting for I appreciate sort of the the mentioning of the university there too at the end. I think it um I think uh what you're uh I really like a lot of what you're saying because it's a reminder that um in, in so many ways Guam has developed based on a number of illusions about sort of what our resources are and and uh And so this is the thing is that when when there's a shock to the system like this, you can either cling to the system or you can sort of use it as a way to try to adapt and try to sort of deal with the limitations in the system. And so one thing that that we've often found, for example, is that tourism is something which, if you don't control things like your own immigration or if you don't control your own, a lot of your economic sort of uh, laws, then it's hard to maintain tourism because Guam is fortunate to have access to some markets because of its relationship to the U S but it can't really aggressively develop any other markets because it's stuck with whatever, whoever is allowed to visit because of the relationship with the U S. And so, um, now I, I, so I think that for some people that are listening to this though, what is that they say in English? There's a, something called a sacred cow a sacred cow is something that no one should dare to to touch right you shouldn't even question it and so i think that some people would say that because you are i guess we might want to say a sacred carabao instead of a sacred cow so that you are sort of attacking a sacred carabao by 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 criticizing sort of the tourism industry and so um so for your average person who works in that industry how would you sort of uh, talk to them to help them understand your your point because for them they may see it that you uh, you just want to shut down the industry that they depend on, but how would you reach them?
0: Uh, so first of all, I'd like to assure them that, what do you call that, I am not calling, um, I am not the one that's calling for uh, tourism to be um, eradicated. All I'm simply asking for is for us to think about where we are and where we want to be and the opportunities that we are presented here today. So um, to assure those who uh, believe that tourism is our sacred caravel, uh, why have one sacred caravel? You can have many, many more sacred caravels that you can use and raise. So I think that really what I'm pushing for is, is not, um, I'm not trying to be very emotional about it, but I want us to know and to seek the opportunities that are presented to us in a time where Uh, we are in a pandemic and all this crisis over here that's happening uh, towards us and the mental, um, how that affects us mentally and economically as well, is that we got to realize that if we were to remove um, our feelings from the situation, Guam has relied on tourism for way too long and it has actually allowed us to crumble and fall. So when uh, tourism has, um, if you were to invest or being invested because i like investing and i'm putting my stuff into stocks um i don't put it into one company i invest in many different companies so that if there's a bad day in one industry i am um what do you call that cushioned by the other industries and so i think that guam has so much talent even here that we shouldn't just keep ourselves to just one industry which is tourism we have we can we can promote our arts and technology, and we can use uh, any studies that uh, the University of Guam has and to actually push that forward. And so many of the things like the Guam Zero Waste Initiative, there are so many studies that are out there, yet we need to um, reconfigure how we uh, believe our funding goes and how we want to work through our our government and to try to push for these new opportunities that we have available. Mm. And... Um, what do you call that? So I'm, I'm not talking um about tourism, like I don't have an effect of it. So I, I have family members who work within the tourism industry. And I want the people to know that this affects everyone. And I'm not trying to say this to say that, what do you call that? I'm very privileged or what not. What I want everyone to know is that I'm calling for us to band together to listen to each other, to call for solutions, and to get our, ba- uh, our brains our brains, turning. Because we need, uh, the only way that we can move forward is if we're doing this together. And I truly believe that we need to have everyone at the table. We have to have our youth involved because the people who are going to inherit uh, our lands and, um, what do you call that, the, uh, when um, everyone starts to get older is the youth. So we have to have our youth voices, and we have to have everyone involved in this conversation.
1: No, I, as so as a, as a historian, I, I I really like what you're saying because a lot of people don't understand or don't aren't familiar with how the tourism industry evolved, and the tourism industry on Guam evolved from the idea, interestingly enough, that Guam wasn't good enough. So we wonder why it is that Guam's tourism industry looks the way it is. So why is it that Guam? For a while was trying to be Waikiki. And that why is it that there's a little bit of Las Vegas in Guam? And part of that is because in the 60s there was a conversation around how Guam should should sort of brand itself. And there was a few people who argued that Guam should develop its brand based on its own identity, that it should promote its own culture, that it should sort of and part of the the late Tony Palomo, who wrote who the museum is named after now, he pushed. That actually all of the, the streets that are named after like Spanish uh, governors and American senators and presidents, that they should all be renamed to Chamorro things to increase the, the Chamorro visibility on the island. And that's how they should welcome tourists. But the majority of the people in the business community said that Guam wasn't good enough and that Guam had to pretend to be something else. And so that it, that it had to be Waikiki or it had to be Vegas. There was some people who said it should be Macau but um but so the industry that we have is is was rooted in that idea that we should pretend to be somebody else to get people to visit us. And so it's so funny cuz when you're talking about this it it just reminds me of that that the tourism industry has been of a great benefit but it's always been built on this feeling that we aren't good enough. that we aren't good enough but what you're advocating is that we should develop ourselves with the mind that we are good enough and that we don't yeah, need so to sort of yeah no, so please talk more about that, especially because it's so nice to, especially to to hear somebody uh, who's younger, um, you know, who's sort of got more uh, in front of them as opposed to behind them and sort of talking like this, sort of uh, encouraging us to believe in ourselves as opposed to that OOG mentality, which tells us that we suck and we can't do anything.
0: Uh, sure. So I'll try to answer this first, but I want to also clarify uh, to everyone who's listening, that um, I am a descendant from the Philippines. So I'm um, I'm a third generation settler from the Philippines. My grandparents came here and I've recognized that that's, that's my position and that's uh, where I come from and um, how I can be an ally towards promoting the people who were there before me, which are the indigenous people of Guam and their descendants. So I think that Um, I guess a lot of the stigma of not being uh, good enough is rooted in the belief that, um, what do you call that? The Chamorro people are not seen as the inheritors of the land or the the indigenous people of the land. So I guess we have to also think of this on a cultural text and understand that um, you you as a person needs to understand where you are in this world, uh, where you've come from and where you want to be. So it's it's all about um, reimagining and rethinking about yourself because I know that a lot of this could be rooted in racism or hatred towards another uh, ethnicity. But in reality, as a settler, as a descendant from uh, the Philippines, I'm I'm not um, from here bloodline, right? So I need to respect the people uh, who were here before me and to uplift everyone else who thinks that um, what do you call that that the Chamorro people are. Um, like they being like their identity is not here because I've ta- I have a lot of um I don't want to say like I have a lot of friends that are Chamorro or whatever and like that but what do you call that I I have classmates and I, I interact with everyone and um, from all ethnicities and it to me it's like I find it when I look back in history I find it very disheartening to know how the Filipino people were treated as well as the Chamorro people were treated and this is this all goes back to understanding history and color colonialism and US colonialism and uh, the Japanese imperialism as well. Mm -hmm. So I think um, the best way to answer your question is to, to know, uh, for everyone who's listening is to know who you are and where you come from. And maybe if you were to think about it, and then you have these conversations with your families and like that, it it stokes conversation, right? And but you got to come from the point of view that you don't know everything. Right, because no one wants to know it all. I, I, for me, I I want to say that I don't know everything in this world, and I I know that I will never know it as much as you know. Right, mm-hmm. but if we um come at this from an angle where we want to learn, where we want to engage, then it comes from a, a feeling of understanding and mutual respect. So I guess uh, that's that's how I would answer, and I'll let you know that um what do you call that if you're lost in knowing your identity and like that is to talk to other people and learn your history, you
1: know? Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 really appreciate you saying that because I think that, um, there's a, a poem written by, uh, you know, there's a poem written by a Samoan uh, poet called identity, in which she talks about how you should, um, that there's this often this feeling that you to be proud in, in yourself means that you only think of yourself. But in truth, by learning about others, that's and by sharing with others, that's when you actually feel real pride in yourself. Is that when you can see yourself uh, in relation to others? And so, I really like sort of just the message that you're sharing there um, about that. In terms of, you know, that Guam shouldn't be in denial about who it is. You know, and that part of it too is because one thing that GVB always struggled with, and the tourism industry in general, is this feeling: does it matter if you promote? The local or not, because oftentimes people who are sort of the captains of the the industry here will say, "Well, you, you don't need Chamorro dance because the Japanese don't know the difference between Chamorro dance or Polynesian dance." And it's kind of and my response to them is is that uh it, that misses the point. the 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 point though is that your industry has to strive for an ethics. People often talk about authenticity, but the better word is an ethics. And so that if there is sort of this ethics within the industry, it will trickle down into all of these things, where it'll be something which is not based on taking money from people too gullible to know what they're watching, but uh, that it'll be sort of about establishing a relationship with people and with the island and so on. And so, I yeah, I, just, I really appreciate your, your point there. Now, I wanted to also talk about uh, your blog. You had a...
0: Could, could, I, could I also add oh, in please, something?
1: Oh, please do. Please do.
0: Okay. <laughs> I I want to say that um, I guess um, I'm actually learning a lot from my conversation as well. I didn't know that um, GVB wanted to push for something that's Las Vegas-like or casino-like or um, uh, Polynesian hula dancers or whatnot. Because a, a lot of what I've heard is that uh, GVB wants to perpetuate uh, the Chamorro culture, right?
1: More but recently, yes. More recently, yes.
0: Yeah, so I think that uh, one way that we can focus on that is to actually invest invest in learning opportunities so that our Chamorro people can thrive, you know, and to also learn more about who they are to, um, I don't know what that word is called, but to to learn their language and to share their language. I know that Chamorro is one of the official languages uh, of mm-hmm. Guam, yet uh, not many people here speak the language or they don't share or perpetuate that language on a daily basis, so if if GVB wants to be real stewards of of tomorrow revitalization, there that's the word, um, mm. is to promote these um, arts, promote the arts, and to promote um, the workforce of anyone who uh, wants to, uh, what do you call that? Share their their knowledge. Maybe it's not in arts, right? I'm talking a lot a bit about arts. Maybe it might be in technology. So uh, mm. building up a website, uh, doing e-commerce, or learning how to. Um, share uh, th- their ways and messages and like that. So I, I, just, I just hope that um, in the near future, right? GVB um, reconsiders themselves as a beacon of perpetuating the Chamorro language and the Chamorro culture as their uh, one of their top priorities. And by, on- by focusing on that, you also got to understand that perpetuating the uh, Chamorro culture means protecting our lands and preserving mm-hmm. our waters and our fish and um, what do you call that? The people, right? Cause the people are what make up our culture and what make up the, mm-hmm. the language of Guam and um, what do you call that? All our uh, intersectionalities as well. So it's 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 one thing to say that tourism is your culture but it's another thing to say uh, that tourism can help uh, perpetuate your culture. And first mm-hmm. you gotta understand that one, you are an indigenous uh, people and that you have something very unique to offer to the world. And that's one way that, um, what do you call that? Uh, tourism can be um, an ally for mm-hmm. our Chamorro heritage and not just the Chamorro people, right? I want to talk to also to the Kababayans and also um, everyone else, um, our FSM community and every, our Chinese community and everyone who calls Guam home, right? It's, it's, it's about finding our sense and place and community here And uplifting everyone else that's that's like my bottom line message
1: no i i definitely i definitely agree with you and i and i appreciate that i mean um yeah and in in because in in and i hope that more people who are watching are or hear your message they understand sort of that you're not necessarily attacking tourism itself but that you are calling for tour like if if A diversification as you said of our sort of our our economy but also one which is more grounded and more circular i mean when we think about tumon just to understand it the metaphor is of course that it is the tourism industry it's tumon it's isolated it's segregated right and there's and it's interesting because on the one hand that was it was developed like that because it makes sense to put everything in one place so it's easier but on the other hand it was also created like that to segregate it from the community because there was a feeling that the visitors wouldn't want to actually see the locals they wouldn't want to actually drive around the island you know it was very much the japanese tourism market in the past where people are in groups they go on buses their 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 interaction with the island is very island is very sterile and so you keep them there but what we've seen then is that the the island it's not integrated into the island and it doesn't benefit the island the way it could. And so I like that you're focusing on a, ho- a more holistic understanding of our economy, a more diverse understanding of our economy. And even um, what you were saying about the arts and the culture and technology, You know, that's um, especially a sort of a younger person. I don't know if you wanna sort of speak more to that about the potentials for promoting ourselves or building ourselves up in those ways.
0: Um, I'll try. But I want to also tackle uh, what you brought up earlier, is that, okay? Um, what do you call that? I'm, I'm not trying to attack the tourism industry. I, I want to stoke conversation. And I guess uh, when I say tourism is dead and that's okay, um, I wanted to let people know that there's, um, there's a great concern, right? And if you look at the numbers that GVB had posted, 90% drop in arrivals. So essentially, maybe 99% dead, not exactly dead. And what I'm hoping for is that when GVB, um, when the senators talk about GVB's new budget, it's that um, instead of having their 80-20 that they're proposing is to have a 20-80 proposition, right? So that they could, um, because of where we are right now, we, uh, we need to focus a lot more of trying to build, um, uh, to stabilize our communities and to also as well, um, uh, reconsider the future of tourism right? Um, if we want to really talk about the diversification of our economy, that does not equate to us pumping up millions and millions of dollars into a bailing out the tourism industry. Instead, we need to have our leaders to think critically into trying to bridge a way where tourism, um, how we can support tourism at their levels right now and a gradual way for us to shift away from tourism, all the way to these different um, technologies or other industries that we have available. And uh, one of the things that um, I think uh, I can talk about on, uh, I, don't, I don't have um, a technology, uh, I don't have a computer degree and I'm not an expert in economics as well. Uh, so I wanna push it out there. But um, as a general Zer, uh, what do you call that? I grew up with technology all my life. So I've had, um, what do you call that, my Nintendo DS. I got my first phone when I was in middle school. And uh, what do you call that? I've been surfing the web um, all day. So that's, that's how I envision, uh, or that's how I grew up. And I feel like the pathway forward is to promote these technology um, advances because they could help us uh, perpetuate our culture. They um, keep our information and we could share that for generations to come. Right. And it could connect us like what we're doing right now. We're zooming um, and we've never, uh, what do you call that? Met each other in in person yet. uh, We need to, what do you call that? Explore these opportunities. And I'm not going to tell you that there's going to be a hundred percent success rate because that's, that's inevitable. There are going to be things that are going to fail. There are going to be problems along the way. And I'm not going to tell you that, um, what do you call it, I can lift you up, right? And everything's all going to be uh, creamy and, and, and nice and gift-wrappy, because that's not the reality. The reality is, is that there's going to be a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, but at the end, it's going to be really rewarding if we make the right choices today. And we got to make the right choices today because we're given these opportunities. And in, in, in the normal year, we wouldn't have been given these opportunities for us to speak up or for us to discuss even the diversification of the economy. But because where we are today and where we can move forward is is what do you call that is uh, is a new story, right? So I'm I'm all about um what do you call that if tourism were to diversify and think about how tourism is um Used right now, so their their business model is trying to reach out uh, to everyone, and whoever wants to come to Guam, please come to Guam. And then they're trying to uh, just get anyone and everyone, right? But there's there's another uh word, and it's called ecotourism, and that's that's mm-hmm. one where we could um have a, a like, sort of niche type of um, tourism where it's it's here on Guam where we promote our lands and we're protecting our lands. And even if it's not at the the levels of, of billions and billions of dollars that um, tourism was able to generate, so the past tense, it's it's something that's unique to us. And because um, we're not relying on t- ecotourism as much, we are um, we have a diversified economy, which is in aquaponics, right? And we're, um, we're selling our, our fish and then our, our, our plants to other places that uh, need to be fed as well. And you know what, there's there's so much opportunity that Guam can have here in Micronesia. There's no circular economy um, like we've had back when um, canoeing and kayaking was the way for us to go, right? Um, prior to the industrialization of, of the world, um, the Chamorro people knew that they could be connected by islands, right? And then mm-hmm. it's, and I'm not saying for us to go back uh, towards, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, for us to wear back on our, our, our skirts or whatever and stuff mm-hmm. and like that.
1: Yeah, no, no grass skirts idea. unless you want to wear grass skirts.
0: Yeah, if, if you want to, then that, that's totally up to you. Um, fitting for Guam's environment. But we don't need to look at it at, at such an um, extreme point of view, right? We could think about the idea and um, understand the reasoning behind why uh, we need a circular economy. It, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. It's more sustainable. And um, it's the path forward because a lot of other uh, places around the world are who relied on tourism as their main economy, they're reconfiguring where they need to go, right? And the, mm. there are leaders who are stepping up and calling for change. And Guam cannot be on the back end and and uh, wait another 20 years for us to um, ban plastic bags while the rest of the world is already on um, banning polystyrene and um, recycling and other things as well. So no, we need to a- be up a... On the front of the conversation, mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
1: No, 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 no. Thank you so much. And because we've got we've got some questions. We've got questions coming in too. And so, um, and you're already touching on some of the some of the points. And so, it's interesting because there was a, a an academic article that was published a couple of years ago, which studied governmental responses in territories and sovereign countries in the Pacific to climate change, in particular. And so, what it found is that. Territories such as Guam, the CNMI, and American Samoa lagged behind the independent Pacific countries that they also analyzed in terms of preparing for something like climate change and the rising seawater and the rising sea levels and so on. And so what the authors of the study uh, extract what they surmised is that on talking to leaders in the territories versus the independent countries, the, the fact that the independent countries had sovereignty and a feeling of responsibility for their lands, their economy and stuff, they tended to take it more seriously that they needed to do something to address this. Whereas talking to government officials, government employees in places like Guam, the CNMI and American Samoa, the researchers found that those, in those territories, there was a feeling that if it's important, America would tell us to do it. Or america would give us money to do it instead so there was this feeling that we should wait until there's federal money or until the u.s gives us money or the guidance that we should do this and so somebody has been asking questions somebody was asking uh somebody from palau eru he was asking if um, is does sovereignty in your opinion but does having sort of a more independent mindset does that have a role to play in terms of making these hard choices or looking for alternatives?
0: Uh, I would like to um, also, before I get to the, the meat of the question, I want to a little bit tackle on this stuff. Um, I get I, I need to see the study itself so I can read the stuff and try to um, understand where the study is coming from. But I do believe, um, I want to also point out that um, people who are probably not independent our governments that are not independent of so like other territories i'm I'm sure that they believe that uh, protecting the environment is there but it's not their top priority because we rely so heavily on federal dollars in order for us to to work through the uh the funding and like that so yes funding is is very important it's one of the it's it's the what that's what gears it's what turns the gears like that but um talking about um a political status and, and understanding that I, I don't have too much knowledge about uh, the different, uh, what do you call that, uh, statuses. And I also want to point out that me as a settler of Guam, I, I don't know if my opinion really uh, speaks for everyone else, but at the same time, like I, I don't want to decide what the people of Guam chooses. so But um, if, if for what it's worth, what I believe in and what I think, I think that um, being in control of your land, being in, uh, being able to uh, listen to your community and make judgments based on the people of your community, um, is is vital, right? Instead of us answering to a higher power. So I think that having um, your constituents, the people who uh, are there for you, like uh, a Palau, right? Um, what do you call that? They're an independent uh, country, and they pass. Uh, they let their tourists know that in order for them to to, to be a tourist in Palau, they have to have a hundred dollar, um, whatever. So, like, they had this whole stuff, and they're, they're proponents of uh, fighting climate change, even on the global context. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think um, what do you call that? Sovereignty is is a real big issue. So, um, how we solve that and how we get go forward from that is is going to be a tight um, a tight um, path. Uh, especially Mm -hmm. here on Guam because not a lot of people understand the difference between uh, uh, understanding the difference of self-determination and uh, what you call that, what that means for the different Mm. categories, whether it's statehood, commonwealth, status quo, or independence Mm. as well. So um, I don't know too much about all those different um, topics and how that um, would affect Guam, but I do know from what I've been learning about is that really independent countries um are are able to have their own resources and make the judgments based on what the people want so yeah
1: you you bring up the example of palau and that's always a good one because palau is is a place which has taken advantage of the the moment and sort of the zeitgeist of the time because like i always tell people that um uh that uh president of palau has a bunch of selfies with leonardo dicaprio but eddie calvo never got a selfie with leonardo dicaprio because palau put itself out there that 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 they that part of their branding and their identity is that they wanted to protect their environment and they wanted it to be clean and pristine and so and the thing is that for some people in the world that's exactly what they want that's exactly what they're looking for they're worried about loss of habitat they're worried about all these things and so creating a jewel a beacon sort of environmentalism like that it creates its own branding and it creates its own sort of industry around it potentially and so i always like sort of palau as a model of of ways that guam could go because even when i interviewed the president of palau several years ago he spoke so differently than the head of gvb because the head of GVB and Eddie Calvo at that time was saying, we want 2 million tourists by 2020. And when I spoke to the president of Palau and the head of the Visitors Bureau there, they said, no, we want just a little bit more. And then we don't really want any more past that. Because at that point, then you're talking about environmental degradation. You're talking about, you know, you have to think about sustaining not just the industry, but also your island and its resources.
0: Can I, can I talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, so in science, there's such thing called the carrying capacity of a population, right? So at, at a certain point, um, you can only, sus- um, the, the, land that you're on can only sustain as much of the, the population and then it, it dwindles down and it, it levels out. Right. But be- if you have more, um, there, you're going to need more resources in order for you to, to, uh, what do you call that? Sustain the population growth. And the way that I see it is that Palau has realized their resources and they understand that they have um, a lot to protect and they don't want to go above and beyond. So, um, really what they what Palau has pushed forward is that, um, it's, they understand that their, um, their community is unique, that their lands and their waters are unique and that it's worth protecting. And, uh, what do you call it? They, and it shows, right. And the people, respect uh, Palau and their image so greatly, and it uh, what do you call that, I respect them so much as well, is because the government has leaders in place that will show that, what do you call it, they want to promote and protect the environment and their culture because it's it's intertwined. Everything just makes sense. But on the other hand, um, what do you call that? I um, I don't really wanna like bring up too much names, but uh, former governor, uh, Eddie Calvo, He's uh, if you want to talk about his um, political stance, he's not really a, a believer in uh, what he call that. Uh, he's not classified as as left um, uh, people thinking as well. I I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. speak so much about that, but um, what do he call that he is a, a uh, I, I, the words are very troubling, but I don't want to say anything thats that, that might insinuate something mm-hmm. but what do you call, so I can't really talk about that topic, I guess
1: okay. oh no problem, no problem. No problem. Um, It's just something to consider because there's different approaches to how you develop, right? More than anything, I see you as saying that we should, and this is something that islands in particular have to be cautious of. How you develop an island, because your ecosystem, in a sense, the way that you're connected to the world is different than if you're a state, if you're part of a big landmass. And I think that in some ways, I always remind people that Guam could have developed very differently. Why is it that an island like this, there's just about as many cars, if not more, than there are people?
0: Yeah, that's part of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Part of that is, number one, because there was an aura of an American of Americanization attached to the car. Just as the United States was going through this push to build freeways, to kill public transportation, because there was all these industries that wanted everybody to buy cars. The same thing happened on Guam, where different sort of uh, families that had means got into car dealerships, and then it became this thing, building roads, not supporting public transportation, get everybody a car to sort of get more money for themselves in the economy. And so I think that uh, I like the way that you're describing it, because we should try to develop within our ecosystem. We shouldn't try to pretend that we are Santa Monica, California. We shouldn't try to pretend that we are New York City or anything like that. If we do that, we end up overstressing our system. We end up developing in unsustainable and potentially problematic ways.
0: Uh, I, I can talk a little bit on that point. Um, oh, yes, please the, auto, the auto industry here in Guam, too, is, is crazy, right? You have um, so many dealerships, and uh, what do you call that? One of the rite of passages here on Guam, you could say, is uh, owning your own car, getting a car from um, from somewhere from a, a dealership as well. Because uh, even if you look at uh, yards, uh, you drive by, they, there's like so many junk cars everywhere, and like it's it's crazy here on Guam. You have such a a, a very um, an island, you're living on an island. There's only so much where you can drive and uh, what do you call that? Um, if there is something where we focus more on on the community instead of the individual, um, what do you call that? Um, we probably would have been in a better place, but I don't wanna to dwell too much of of where we could have done or the what ifs and, and like that. I wanna focus right now on the now and how we can position our, ourselves forward. So I guess- um, But the auto industry is one thing, right? Uh, That's a whole another beast uh, to talk about. But um, what do you call that? Um, Realizing the opportunities that we have here, right, is knowing the problems that we have built within our system. So we have to first acknowledge that there is a problem. And then we got to realize the root of the problem. And we're talking about the root of the problem, which goes back to the beginning of trying to Americanize Guam. And then, um, what do you call that? Moving forward, we have to have the conversation of everyone at the table and try to discuss ways for us to move forward. And Mm -hmm. one of the organizations that I'm a part of is the Guam Green Growth. And uh, what do you call that? We're talking about how we can build Guam in a more sustainable manner. And um, I'm a part of the Thriving Natural Resources Committee, I think, and um, hopefully, uh, it's not binding. None of the stuff that we're we're talking about is binding within the stuff. But I hope that this is a segue that for anyone um, who's in government positions right now, to to take these things serious because it's it's the future is uh, what do you call that being more sustainable. The future is um, looking back at our communities and trying to develop ways where um, our culture is thriving. And by our culture, I mean uh, the Chamorro people's culture.
1: And um everyone else who calls Guanghong let's um so hold on, let's see if we can get to a few more questions because I'm so sorry i talk i t- I've been talking so much, so we haven't had a chance to get to a lot of these questions, but you have quite <laughs> no worries. a few and so actually, this one is from uh, a senator, a senator I know very well because I work in her office, uh Senator Kelly Marsh Titano, and so she asked. How can a growth in a knowledge economy benefit our environment? So I think uh, that
0: first, I would have to know what a knowledge economy is. I don't know. So, Sorry, I don't have too well, much so, of to know in a knowledge
1: ah, economy. Well, so a knowledge economy can it can refer to to different things, um, but from my understanding, it could be sort of like um, like UOG as a as a hub of sort of uh, scholarship or research or um, it could also be, it could also deal with the humanities and the arts. So it's sort of like um, creating, you know, creating ideas, creating culture, creating media. That's one of the things tied to that. And and it is also, it can refer to uh, tech. So innovation, in, innovation industries too. And so do you have any sort of thoughts on that as opposed to sort of just not thinking of ourselves as the only thing we have is a beautiful island and that we can sell it to others sort of as their paradise. But it goes in line with what you were saying earlier, like um, about sort of believing in ourselves and taking advantage of our own talent. So what do you have to say about that sort of about a...
0: I feel like um, having a knowledge economy is just like saying going to school. But if you want to... Uh, talk about, uh, what do you call that, how uh, we could uh, attract more international students so that they could um, help, uh, what do you call that, come to Guam and learn more about Guam's culture and also get a, a degree, um, an accredited degree. That's something that I think would be in a great way for us to to develop more uh, dollars and for us to, uh, what do you call that, uh, build up our knowledge economy. But I don't know. I, I I would have to really, uh, what do you call it, learn more about what it means to be in a knowledge economy because I, I don't like, or I'm confident in saying that I don't know too much about that uh, topic mm. for me to uh, to form an opinion on. Opinion. On.
1: Oh, okay. It may be something for you to consider because one of the things that, for example, um, at the University of Guam, there is UOG Press, and UOG Press has been putting out a lot of great books and one thing that's fascinating to me is that some islands in the Pacific that are smaller than Guam are more well-known around the world because of their support for their authors and their writers. So like um, it, Samoa is a very good example of that. Samoa has a lot of great writers and they're, and they're promoted and unknown around the world. They have national writers and so on. They, but in Guam, there's no sort of push to recognize that we have a literary voice. We have a lot of filmmakers, but um, if you look at what some other uh, peoples in the Pacific, such as the Maori, Hawaiians, in terms of using film to represent themselves, um, we have a lot of filmmakers here, but there's no push to sort of use that to represent ourselves to the world. To sort of, uh... so those are some things that you want to consider because it's in line with what you're talking about in terms of the diversifying of how we how we sort of uh, how we sustain ourselves. And so, no,
0: I, I totally agree. I mean, if it works with um, being ambassadors for our island, um, whether it's in arts or using the technology that we have here to promote our cultures and um, what do you call that? Um, what we know about Guam—that that's that's something that we could totally um, explore, you know, and promote. And I'm all for that. But I guess right. when you use the word knowledge economy, it, it's it's like an unknown term, and it just it, it didn't ah. make sense
1: to me at first. No problem. No problem. Oh, we have a comment from Moneca de Oro and she says, Kyle, Hi, Mune- so grateful, so grateful for your voice, presence and example for the next generation.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, uh, thanks Moneca. But uh, what do you call that? I, I wanna also point out that we should not wait for the next generation for us uh, to call the people who are in charge now to make the choices that we need mm-hmm. today right? I feel like everyone who, uh, Senator Kelly Marsh-Titano and everyone out there who is listening, if you are in a position of power, the least you can do is what you call that. Talk to uh, your people, have a round discussion and see how you could genuinely move forward. How can we um, be examples for our youth? Because honestly, I'm not looking up to anyone because I'm really, I'm really sad that uh, what do you call that? It takes an act of a youth person to get really riled up and to get upset and to call you guys out on, the, on your mistakes and to push things forward. It's, it's, it's lacking, you know, leadership, what? Mm-hmm. Not there.
1: <laughs> no, no, definitely. I mean, uh, I think uh, it's good that you're engaging with, the, with sort of the island leaders, because one thing that we, we should always remember is that on Guam, there is a great possibility for change because we are a small island. And if you were to get a hundred people or 200 people to, to bother any, any elected leader, they could basically push that elected leader one way or the other. And so that's why I think, um, you know, a voice like yours is very important in, because for so many around the world, so many young people are speaking out because they're basically uh, fed up in some ways with the sort of the promises of the past, which, which simply aren't going to be worth worth their weight uh, for them and their generation.
0: Yeah, and you know what? And uh, we can talk about this on, on a generational thing, so uh, uh, the youth, any any youth out there that's listening is that um, what we what your parents have lived through and the climate that they've lived through is not going to be the same as what when we get older. And it's not going to be the same for future generations. And it's something that we desperately need to protect, right? And um, you have these international reports saying that uh, we have less than uh, 10 years for us to enact real climate change solutions. And so as youth, there's something in us, for us to benefit is to protect the, the planet and the land that we walk on, right? And that's, that's something that could empower our youth for us to speak out. And on another thing, intergenerational wise, Um, We are not leaving out our Manamku. We are not leaving out our working class people. We want to have uh, the island together, right? And to have these discussions and for us to have an open space so that we can uh, talk about our concerns, talk about our ideas and innovate. You know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. So I I don't like it when... um, uh, in class, I'm the only one that's raising my hand and asking questions, or uh, what do you call that? We need to end this this silo, right? This barrier that that mm. that's very shy or very meek, um, and um, for us to speak up and speak out. And on the other end, we, uh, the people who are very outspoken, we need to um, not scare everyone else out there, and we shouldn't be pushing them too much for them so that they're uncomfortable, but. To come together, and um, all of us uh, have something to offer, and all of us have something to benefit from. You know, it's, it's a mutual relationship, symbiotic, and for us to, it's uh, for me. Honestly, it's it's for you, it's for me, it's for everyone. You know, I, I don't know. It's like I don't I don't see a problem with that. Like who who wouldn't want to help someone if it's also going to help you as well, and vice versa? So it's just it just makes sense. But you know, it's not sensible if it's not being talked about. Mm.
1: No, thank you so much. I think that's a, that's a great sort of a note to end on unless, did you have any sort of final things? You, did you want to tell people where they can follow you on social media or did you want to plug your blog or anything else? If there's anything.
0: Um, I mean, not really, but uh, what do you call that? I, I do want to end with this. Um, it, it takes uh, one person uh, and it's a snowball effect. So it, it, it takes you. It takes you to talk to your family. It takes you to talk to yourself, to change within yourself and to have that conversation with yourself. And then you can talk to your family and then you can talk to others and then you can also publish letters. And then uh, we, we get the ball rolling, you know, we get our, our gears turning and um, what do you call that? It's it's not uh, so from the wise words of Bernie Sanders, Sanders himself, not me, us. Mm-hmm. But you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Just my name, Kyle Dehilig, And then uh, you guys can also read about my experience. Like, the, I don't know. You could p- put it somewhere. I'm too tired right now.
1: <laughs> okay. That sounds good. Hey, Sidus Masi, Kyle. I appreciate you uh, coming on to Fanatsu. Um, and to everyone watching, Sidus Masi, who go fagredesinai I appreciate all of you who are watching. Um, and so keep following Fanatsu on Facebook, on Instagram. Um Yeah, see you, my dear Jos. Esteki manalita until we see each other again.
0: I just ask.